As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. If you're the sort of Totally listener who's ever wondered to yourself, hmm, this Totally Football Show makes for a really excellent podcast three times a week, but what if it was available in book form? Then you are in luck. The Totally Football Yearbook is the definitive chronicle of this season that's coming to its climax and it will look absolutely ravishing on your bookshelf or indeed in your bathroom. There's a foreword from Jamie Carragher, plus features in club-by-club season reviews, stats, quizzes and expertise from our chums at The Athletic and your Totally favourites like Daniel Storey, Rafa Honigstein, Duncan Alexander, James Horncastle and Julianne Laurent. The Totally Football Yearbook is out on August the 5th and you can pre-order your copy wherever you get your books today. Totally Football Show. Today, as football rebuilds, a weekend with all the construction classics. Masons, Glazers, a bit of a hammering and one huge arse crack at the Emirates as the Gunners plumb the depths again. We talk League Cup final, Man City all over Tottenham like Turkish restaurants. Burnley's 4-0 win at Wolves. Burnley had wood, Wolves failed to make their tackles hard enough. And we look ahead to the midweek Euro ties. Plus, more quarterfinal drama in the Intertotally. It's the Toby Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello to you, listener. Just a month left in the season. A month. Uh, joining us today on the Toby Football Show, we've got Dom Fifield. Hello, Dom. Hello, James. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. You're fresh from covering midweek shenanigans. Daniel's story's been writing about them too and not giving evil execs a free pass, eh, Daniel? Absolutely right, James. Hello. Indeed, hello to you. Tom Williams, who meanwhile is against giving anyone a pass, at least according to what Michael Cox and Adam Hurry were telling us. Uh, Tom, how do you respond to that? Write a reply. This this relates to your kind of five-a-side football activities. Hi, James. Um, All I'll say... On, on that is that Adam and Michael had what I would call an Anglo-Saxon football education, you know, sort of meat and two veg, God save the queen, get it up to the big man and don't funny around at the back. Whereas I benefited from a slightly more enlightened football upbringing and I learned that football could be about self-expression, about about playfulness, about, about risk-taking, about joy fundamentally um you know adam and michael never learned how to do a step over a shimmy a rabona and it's unfortunately made them bitter and sad 
I think that came across in their comments, actually, Tom. But I'm, I'm so glad you, you cleared that up. Much more on that, no doubt, to come in the weeks ahead. But this, a weekend that uh, took place, of course, against a slightly unusual backdrop. You're thousands of fans protesting and flybys and banners, etc. Adam Hill asks, what with the events of the last week leaving a very sour taste in the mouth and the likelihood that the 12 will try something like this again, could anyone actually bring themselves to watch any football this week? Well, that's a question. Or perhaps, did we all appreciate it even more because of how close we'd come to losing it? I think we appreciated the EFL Cup final in particular for having fans of both teams back for the first time since Leicester, Aston Villa, I think, in March 2020, um, which is an awfully long time ago. And it was nice listening to the commentary and hearing kind of up-to-date sounds and, and no delay and a, you know, the ironic cheers that you don't get with the fabricated crowd noise. So that was excellent. Um, that was certainly, I think, the high point of the, the footballing weekend. And, and I think that is an antidote to the... Um, as were the protests, a kind of antidote to the, the grimness of the last week. Yeah, I, I think that the most difficult games to watch last week were the, the Monday and Tuesday games, uh, the, the Leeds-Liverpool game and, and the Chelsea-Brighton game, because you just found yourself thinking, what is the point of this? Like These games have become totally meaningless, because at that time, well, certainly with the, the Liverpool game, you, you thought that you know this this was... Uh, yeah, this thing was actually going to see the light of day. And as it happened, by the time that Chelsea game had finished, the, the whole house of cards was collapsing. But yeah, I, I, I must admit, I did find a, a, a slight bit of extra, a bit of a spring in my step looking ahead to the games this weekend, knowing that actually finishing in the top four does matter, as it always has done and, you know, and everything else does. So that was a, that was a, a welcome difference. Mm. Slightly muted on the goals front, only 12 of them. Uh, we'll talk more about the kind of fallout and... The winds of change that might just be twitching at the the curtains of the uh, of the window of the the house of the football, the one that it lives in, and that. But let's start off with that League Cup final that Daniel enjoyed so much. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Even Diaz in there. Oh, and it's put away. By Merrick Laporte. And they have a quadruple after all. Four triumphs in a row in this competition. They are the Carabao Cup kings again. Yep, Wembley. Sunday afternoon where Man City did Spurs 1-0 and won their fourth straight League Cup. It's their sixth in eight years. Daniel, you were taken by Pep's celebration. Yeah, I just at the end, he because he was laughing as he held up the four fingers uh, and made a real point of doing it uh, with Juan Malillo uh, as well, who also did it. And they both kind of laughed together as they did it. I just thought, like, it obviously reminded me of, of Mourinho's deliberate four fingers up to say every one of these trophies counts. Now, he might just have been doing it to get, say, oh my goodness, I love the EFL Cup and we are incredibly good at winning it. But I do wonder if maybe there was a slight little nod to, to Mourinho as if to say, yeah, we get to do our four fingers now and isn't it funny because um, you're not in a job anymore. Maybe I'm overreading to it. I really hope it was deliberate. Mm. Well, Tom Williams tweeting, so good to see spectators back at Wembley. There's even one in goal for City. It was a remarkable uh, match from the point of view of the number of uh, shots and the amount of domination that City had. Michael Cox pointing out, that they had to add an extra decimal place to the XG 
just to get Spurs' in. XG for Man City was 3.5. XG for Spurs, 0.04. Ouch. I think I actually went too early with that tweet. Had I waited another 20 minutes, I could have made a joke about the entire Spurs 11 being spectators because in the first half, they were, you know, just couldn't get out of their own penalty area and made a bit of a fist of it in the second half. And there is that, you do get that with City, as impressive as they are. And I think this City team, the kind of football they play in this very fluid sort of 4-2-4 system stands comparison with anything pretty much that Guardiola has achieved in his career. But every now and again, they have these games where they're just absolutely battering a team and they can't make the breakthrough. It makes them vulnerable. As it was, they got the the late goal through Laporte and and got the victory they deserved. Uh, But yeah, a a pretty astonishingly one-sided 1-0. Dom, thank goodness Spurs got rid of that defensive manager they had. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether Jose Mourinho would have been able to nullified City in any way today, to be honest. I think that Spurs' problems and their inability to get out of their own half was partly born of the fact they were effectively carrying a player, unfortunately, and Harry Kane clearly wasn't fit enough to, to feature. And he, he sort of had the alarm bells ringing when he when Ryan Mason was quoted for, uh, pre-match saying, Harry's told me he's fit. Because we know Harry Kane tells people he's fit. Um, but it's it's probably asking a bit too much for him to be... He certainly wouldn't be fully match fit, and and even to be to be making any kind of impression on that City team who were going to monopolise the ball for long periods. I think it was just he was dropping deeper and deeper, and, and he was playing as a ten. He wasn't. I know he had the number ten on his shirt, but he was playing so far back that it really sort of nullified everything about him. And and he, he, again, it would have it would have been interesting had Mourinho been in charge if he'd started with Kane. Would he would he have had the the strength and 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 uh, would have felt empowered enough to actually taken him off, because it felt as if he should have come off an awful lot. Well, he should he should have come off. He should have just come off, and they should have tried something completely different uh, to try and inflict any kind of wound on on City. But to be honest, it was it's a shame, really. But I suppose given we've sort of sat here for the last week now questioning why Tottenham Hotspur consider themselves to be a super club. I think that's probably confirmation that they're not because they were they were completely outclassed by the better team. They hung on grimly. They they defended well in, in periods, but but it, their final was an anticlimax, and I fear their season could yet be an anticlimax as well. I just wonder whether, with hindsight, sacking Mourinho when Spurs did um, might not actually prove to have been a bit of a mistake. Uh, I'm not a Mourinho sympathizer, and I've enjoyed all the Mourinho jokes as much as. Everyone else has since he was sacked, but you know this is a man with an excellent record in cup finals. You know who is, or at least has historically been very good at setting traps for teams in one-off games, um, and who was brought to the club to to try and win a trophy. And I think because it's Mourinho, the fact that he had the opportunity wrenched out of his hands six days before a final just felt quite funny. Um, but. I, I, it's just hard not to think that Spurs would have been would have been better placed going into that game with him in the dugout rather than Ryan Mason. As as bad as things had got with everything else, you know, and his his relationship with the players and you know and everything. I just yeah, you, you just you wonder whether he might have had more of an idea of how to get a result in that game than than Ryan Mason did. But again, the flip side of that, Ryan Mason, massive feel good story, wonderful moment for him. 
Um, and you know, you, you did feel that that sort of sense of unity between the, the, the players and the fans, and and the coach was was there for the first time in a long time. So I don't know, maybe that cancels it out. Tom, do you think do you think the two thousand Tottenham fans that were were at Wembley today would have would have given Mourinho any grief had he had he actually been in situ still? I mean, he gets so much grief on on social media, and uh, you know, an awful lot of the Spurs fans who I know and who I follow on Spurs absolutely sick to the back teeth of him and, and delighted to see him go. So you sort of think that, yes, he, he probably would have done. But then again, and you know, not, not to insult Spurs, but they don't get to, to major finals all that often. So maybe that would have been enough for, for people to sort of swallow that, you know, swallow that uh, animosity, uh, at least until the final whistle. I think it would have been harder to sack him had he won the trophy, though. And I think it was well, yeah, there's one that. way. Yeah, there mm. is that. There might have been other contractual clauses, etc., but City, though, the, the winners and, and so dominant. Were you surprised that Jesus and Aguero didn't come off the bench at all, given their problems finishing? Do you think that Pep was holding them back for Paris Saint-Germain in the week? Potentially, yeah. I mean, it surprised me he didn't make a change for so long. It, it felt as if there was, a, there, was a, there was one moment where Sterling kind of dribbled through and then shot high and wide and he kind of made, Pep made the kind of deliberate action to us, kind of stand and applaud that. It felt as if he was almost rewarding the players that had started for their dominance and wanted to see them get the goal for that dominance without anyone else coming on and 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 kind of almost muddying the waters as if to say, well, we won because of the substitutions rather than because of the players that started because they did play phenomenally well. I mean, and the goal came from, from Sterling doing what he seemed to do five or six times and does quite often, I think, when he's out of confidence, which is rather than dribble at goal, he, he almost dribbles into the penalty area and kind of waits for a foul to happen to him. This time it happened outside the area, but it was the first time that Aurier really lost his head and kind of fouled him. Um, and yeah, it's an odd one because City were completely dominant, but he didn't really answer any of the, the doubts we have about them. Foden was, was their best player, I think, because De Bruyne didn't look fully fit he played well in the first half and then tailed off but Sterling didn't really get that form back Mares was was does everything which is we know he can do I mean he must have the best first touch of any Premier League player I think the way he takes down those long balls and cuts inside is that kind of iron robin light but but didn't score and yeah and the goal came from a set piece which ironically might might really please Pat because it's something that they've not been particularly good at and may well be the defining factor against PSG Mm, PSG are coming up on, on Wednesday and they are in fine goal-scoring form, Tom. A 3-1 this weekend at Metz, a 5-0 against Angers midweek in the Cup. They're scoring loads of goals and they're still in the midst of the title race. I'm not sure how you felt about Man City's chances against them prior to this weekend, if, if, if the League Cup final has changed your view at all. I think it depends which Man City turn up. And I feel like generally speaking in, in recent weeks, they have been at their most impressive when they've played with the players and the system that they used at Wembley today. So without Aguero and without Jesus. And I think that's something that, that PSG um, might struggle with. Uh, I think the concern for City is, is that PSG have shown how deadly they can be against teams who, who play high up the pitch and leave space in behind. Uh, and that's been one of 
Mauricio Pochettino's real successes since he came in is that he's he's really put the emphasis on that by moving Marco Verratti further up the pitch and by trying to make sure that Neymar and in particular Kylian Mbappe are getting onto the ball in those dangerous areas. Um, doesn't look like PSG are going to have any injuries. They're pretty much full strength. I, th- I thought that there was a bit of a scare about Mbappe who went off in, in, in the Mets game. Yeah, no, he looks like he's going to be okay. So he scored a couple of goals uh, against Mets and then I think he got a bang on the thigh uh, and went off as a precaution. But he he should be okay. Marquinhos was the big injury doubt. He didn't feature against Mets, but looks like he he should be fit to feature, might not be fit enough to start. And yeah, I think I think PSG have got the you know the sort of monkey off their backs that, that was their their Champions League hoodoo in recent years. They showed that by the way they beat Barcelona, the way they beat Bayern Munich. Um, I thought that Bayern were going to absolutely destroy them, so I'm not going to make any sort of prediction about the PSG Man City game. Uh, but I, I think both teams will be going into it in you know in in, in good form. Interesting. All right, we'll have Julian Laurent giving us his thoughts on that game on our Euro show on Tuesday, along with Raphael Honigstein, of course, and James Horncastle and Alvaro Romeo, who will actually be joining us in this show as well very shortly. That's uh, anyway on Tuesday, the Euro edition. Also out that day, the Totally Scottish Football Show, talking about a Rangers shot, Scottish FA Cup exit and other stuff too. The Offside Rule WSL edition is out on Tuesday. Uh, they'll be uh, chatting on Bayern against Chelsea in the Women's Champions League and PSG Barca and all that. Uh, but out today, meanwhile, along with this, is the Totally Football League show where they're celebrating Watford's promotion back up to the Premier League. I know we're all excited about this. Daniel, you particularly? It'll be interesting to see if they, they keep their manager because mm. the last time they were promoted to the Premier League, they they got rid of their manager before they started, but... Cisco seems to have um, done a pretty impressive job given that there was a lot of grumbles when he's appointed, as there always is when Watford appoint a manager because you assume he's going to be there five minutes. But um, they're relentless in the second half of the season, having been pretty lethargic in the first months of it. Is it worth them unpacking this time? (sighs) I've got a horrible feeling that the next few years of the Premier League are going to be promoted teams going down and relegated teams coming back up yikes there's an unpredictability about Watford though I mean they, they could throw a lot of money at it they'll Watford instantly become the the the, the main club in the Pozo portfolio again because they're in the Premier League and it's in their interest to keep them in the Premier League because there's more money coming in there than there is anywhere else in the world but look it, it's, it'll be good to see Will Hughes back in the Premier League he's been brilliant I think of late in in the in the Watford team that have been resurgent over the last few months and on a personal level I'm quite looking forward to seeing how Harry the Hornet deals with Wilfred Zaha and the various on the trips to to Vicarage Road they seem to not get along quite so well there's a weird sort of rivalry between Watford and Palace which I've always been a bit uncomfortable with but Mm. but um, yeah I think it's personified by if you can be personified by a bee or bloke no by a bloke dressed up as a hornet is that possible I think so I think so I'm looking forward to seeing of course, the manager, if we get to see him in the Premier League, but Cisco Systems, how will they work in, in the top flight? We shall see. Watford uh, celebrating, as I say, no doubt looking forward to taking on the likes of Arsenal and that next season. Let's get on to what the Gunners and the other Premier League sides who were in action got up to this weekend next. 
Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. <laughs> what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the question sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your four-fold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, minards one to five on each leg. Online exclusive, exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, begumbleaware.org. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Premier League intriguing weekend uh, for league fixtures got underway on Friday. Burnt Leno's tribute to Arsenal's best goalkeeping traditions, handing Everton a one-nil win. Then Saturday, Liverpool caught late by Newcastle for a one-one draw at Anfield, while Liverpool's top four rivals Chelsea won one-nil away at another of the Champions League place contenders, West Ham. Saturday evening, the Blades beat Brighton one-nil, with Burnley on Sunday clocking up that whopping four-nil win at Wolves. Brighton are now the only team still in range of Fulham in the relegation battle. There's seven points between them. Elsewhere on Sunday, Leeds Man United was a big fat nil-nil and Villa West Brom ended 2-2, which may well have ended the Baggies' survival hopes. Monday evening, it's Palace at Leicester. Right. Hey, let's talk about the winds of change. The winds of change, as we've heard, players, supporters, even even clubs beginning to flex their, in some cases, slightly dormant muscles and push back against some of the ills and issues that afflict the game. Uh, we've heard Gundogan speaking out on fixture congestion, saying, can we please also speak about the new Champions League format more and more and more games? Is no one thinking about us players? Liam Toomey reporting that Chelsea are backtracking on their plans to raise season ticket prices in the light of the supporter backlash to the Super League business. We've had thousands of supporters in the last few days out, particularly at the Emirates, where I think there were two or 3,000, though, calling for Kroenke to, to move on. And interesting news that the owner of Spotify is uh, throwing his hat in the ring. Uh, and we've also had this kind of pan-federational, at least in British terms, decision to stage a social media blackout from next Friday afternoon till... Monday evening, in response to the ongoing and sustained, I'm quoting from their press release here, discriminatory abuse received online by players and many others connected to football. The idea is to kind of provoke or push the the companies affected, the social media companies, to actually making things more accountable. I remember when we had this conversation about Swansea having a similar initiative. You said it was a nice gesture and, you know, every little helps. This being such a concerted thing and for such a sustained period of time, feels like it might even have some economic impact, which I guess would be the the big kind of driving force to any change. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, as I think it is ultimately performative, but then everything done by people who don't ultimately control the power um, is performative. More important than the blackout itself, I think, is the 
suggestion or or maybe even the proof that so many different parties are are working together and if they're working together on a blackout then you also assume i think rightly that they're working together to to actually try and force meaningful action and it sounds like it's not just going to be um football clubs it sounds like it's going to be other sports as well and it it, it really might snowball into something a bit bigger and and yes it might it might affect share price it might affect the social media platforms economically but i think more important than that is it might force them to have the conversations and more than conversations with people that they should have done before now yeah an issue that's certainly not limited to sporting topics but uh, seems to be particularly concentrated there by the way on the on the subject of the protests and that and the super league fallout what did you make of klopp's suggestions that uh, supporters of media should calm down and carry on as normal because quotation marks nothing happened it's, it's always nice to have a man on Merseyside telling everyone to calm down but it did seem very very old judged talking about old judged yeah um, <laughs> um look uh he's clearly he, he was uncomfortable when the the lead supporters were were screaming abuse at the team bus when it rocked up at Ellen Road on, on that Monday night um, I think he does need to look at the bigger picture on this a bit, if I'm honest. Um, this isn't going to go away. It, it, it didn't happen, but it only didn't happen because people did get angry about it and, and get whipped up into into a frenzy and actually got out and and made their displeasure very, very obvious. I think he needs to appreciate the the wounds that it opened within the relationships between his own club's ownership and his own club's supporters as well I don't think they're frustrated with Jurgen Klopp or the players in any way I think that they they appreciate that he he said what he could say on the match he made it very obvious he he didn't approve of the Super League on on that Monday night before and after the before and after the the game at Leeds but I just he, he has to acknowledge that this is this has really inflicted huge scars on the game in this country and it's not going to be forgiven and forgotten overnight. It's going to rumble on. Um, people are going to still be calling for sanctions for a while yet, for a long while yet, I imagine. And the fear that these six so-called self-appointed big six clubs could go off and do this again is going to be very real, particularly if they're ostracised from... You know, Premier League committees and committees within UEFA, the ECA, whatever, and they find that their influence has actually been damaged by their idiotic pursuit of a plan that was never going to work. So it's going to it's going to rumble on, and and as as manager of Liverpool Football Club, he's going to have to accept that he's not going to be able to dictate what the media agenda is or what people are talking about on the cop and the sense of uh, hurt that uh, a lot of the people in this country had with those plans. Mm. Interesting to read the comments from uh, Alexander Sheffer in, in uh, one of the Sundays that UEFA are going to be lenient towards the six English clubs because they were such an agent of of the reversal of this whole policy, belatedly, but at least they were, whereas there are clubs who are still, who haven't actually withdrawn in, in any sense. So the project is suspended for them, but they still consider them themselves to be part of it. And you've got the crazy old man in Madrid who's insisting that it's all going ahead and everyone's legally contracted and and what the the measures are going to be against them I, I i don't know what what do you think is going to happen you know beyond the calls for sanctions stuff what do you think actually con- in concrete terms will happen i mean it's hard to say because it's so completely unprecedented 
Um, you know, UEFA, the Premier League, these organisations have never had to react to something like this before. And there is a balance to be struck between taking appropriate punitive measures, which would be supported by the vast, vast majority of fans, and not doing anything that, that damages the competitions that, that they administer. And that's what makes it so tricky, because we are dealing with the, the biggest clubs in the world who do have a unique draw and a unique marketing heft. Um, I mean, fines is, is one potential uh, step that can be taken, but then, you know, how, how do you hit clubs as rich as these with fines that will feel meaningful um or yeah, clubs that are already a billion in debt anyway well yeah exactly um so i don't know but i i await with interest mm. uh the the punishments that will eventually be be meted out if if there will be any mm. i think the other the other really interesting thing is that fans of those and we'll use the english clubs as an example but fans of those big six clubs face a bit of a kind of internal reckoning over the next few months because there's a transfer window opening in the summer and the the manner and the kind of style of the protests in the last week have been not just against the actions of these owners, but actually attempting some sort of semi-forcible removal of them. And that would be the punishment for um, a kind of punishment administered by the masses rather than by the governing bodies themselves. But that, which is great, and I think that's brilliant, but if you then act excited that the owner of Spotify thinks he might like to buy your club because he he might then buy the three or four players you think your club needs to get back into the Champions League, then that that can only serve to undermine the kind of purity of of the protest that you're initially making. And 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 that's not re- I'm not blaming supporters for that because they've been kind of indoctrinated to to demand more and more players and to demand this kind of hungry pursuit of success. It's going to take them to. You know, it, it takes, for example, an Arsenal fan to say, I don't care if we don't, never finish in the top four again if, if billionaire-owned clubs finish in the top four because we don't want a billionaire owner anymore. We want to own our club ourselves and therefore, you know, we don't care. We feel we consider ourselves better than them and purer than them because we have something that we feel emotionally invested in. But that's a heck of a jump from where fans have been over the last decade, I think. Mm. It is indeed. Well, Daniel Eck, the billionaire businessman, and chief executive of Spotify, who tweeted on Friday night that he'd long time been an Arsenal supporter and would be interested if uh, the current owners were uh, willing to, to, to put the club up. They, they, I think, have said that they're hanging on. Man United, meantime, what's the price tag they've, that they've had put on them by the Glazers? Is it four billion? Mm. And the reality is, is that you know, unless there is legislative change to allow some degree of fan ownership, then. There isn't a you know there isn't a group of very kind of goodwilled billionaires waiting in the wings to pay that sort of money for a club. You, that just doesn't exist, I'm afraid. Mm. Well, much they didn't for the, the, the Glazers, I suppose. But but creative banking. Anyway, uh, returning to Klopp, he didn't have the best of Saturday afternoons, of course, uh, watching his side rack up the chances but concede late on to Newcastle. Well done, uh, Newcastle. Uh, for their their spirited finale to the game, Callum Wilson with that ninety second minute equaliser disallowed by VAR, but then Joe Willock popping up for the third match in a row with a goal off the bench, huge. Yeah, um, uh, great result for Newcastle, who who look like they've very belatedly turned a corner. Only lost one of the last eight, I think it is, in the league. Uh, I think Anasa Maxima, unsurprisingly, has, has has made a really big impact since since he's returned, but. As so often with Liverpool this season, you felt it coming. 
and it looked like they'd got themselves off the hook after Callum Wilson's goal was ruled out. And yet within three minutes, they've allowed themselves to be forced back by Newcastle, by Steve Bruce's Newcastle, uh, and, and concede a goal deep into stoppage time. And, you know, they should have put this game to bed by, by half-time. They had so many chances uh, and were so wasteful. And it just felt like every time the ball fell to one of their forwards, and they had, you know, the, the, the new Fab Four of Salamane, Firmino and Jota all on the pitch. But they were just forever snatching at chances or greedily taking shots when, when they were teammates in, in, in better positions. And, and you know, that the longer the game on, the, you know, that the more you started to feel this, you know, this, this threat of Newcastle nicking something build. And, and, and so it proved. And, and, you know, Liverpool had looked as if they were about to, to turn a corner. You know, they'd won, well, there's three wins on the bounce against Wolves, Arsenal, Villa drew against Leeds in their previous game but then they're just sort of you know brought back down to earth in in a way that feels very familiar and it it does just add to that sense that something has broken there this season um and i guess you know the the question now for for liverpool fans is is how long it's going to take to fix that is is it going to be you know a, a summer break where a bit of distance uh, from the club and from each other will do everyone good or or has some has some kind of rot set in that's going to be much more difficult to weed out yeah, remarkable stat, Tom, at least according to BT Sport. Liverpool actually had more shots in this 1-1 draw with Newcastle than they had in their 7-0 win away at Palace. It's almost like you have to bring that up. Is that contractually obliged? <laughs> <laughs> um, John Sands says, Is Alan San Maximan the best player outside the dirty half-dozen? If so, then how long will he stay at Newcastle? Harsh on Jack Grealish. Yeah, Grealish, I think, and and also a, a shout. Even though he's a Championship player, but I, I suspect next season that Emmy Buendia might not be mm. far off that because he is also the business. And a shout too, because we might not talk about the game at length. But Mateus Pereira at West Brom, who was excellent again against Villa, and he is by far and away their best. Right. So Maxman, though, here a bit of a treat to watch as he kind of powered up and down. And Newcastle are powering up at the moment. They're now nine points above the bottom three. Uh, Daniel, you want to have a go at Liverpool again, though? No, just to say that the, this this late goals thing is becoming a, a real pattern without wanting to read out too long a list. Even since Christmas, they conceded last 10 minutes against West Brom, last 10 minutes against Burnley. They conceded three times in the last 20 minutes against City and Leicester, uh, Man City and Leicester, that is. Last five minutes against Everton, last five minutes against Leeds. You know, that adds credence, I suppose, to the idea of, of a kind of fatigue because I think they've only scored three times in the last 20 minutes over the, that kind of 19-game period. But um, I think it's more of a mental thing than a physical thing, really. I think you can just tell that, like Tom says, it looks like they need a break from each other, which is, mm. is pretty much the antithesis of everything you think about Jurgen Klopp. It's, he, he likes to keep everything really close to him, but for the first time, I think you are looking as if, yeah, everyone could do with a, a major tournament last summer and which they're obviously not going to get. Right, it was his comments afterwards. He was saying the first present we got from VAR was that they, they scored a goal that was disallowed, then we gave them another one. Why it happened, I don't know. We had to keep the ball in a specific way. We don't fight enough. And he, he said at this point, we, we don't deserve the top four. As it stands, they are now four points behind Chelsea, who are in fourth place. West Ham in fifth, a point ahead of Liverpool, with Spurs a point behind Klopp's side. All of those teams have played the same number of matches. You have got Everton, who are a couple of points behind Liverpool, but with a game in hand. So that could be interesting or or not. The team, of course, who were the big winners this weekend were Chelsea, Dom, 
Uh, picking up a fat three points there away at the London Stadium. A 1-0 win. Thomas Tuchel making six changes and Timo Werner getting a run out. Woof. <laughs> yeah, a, like a great win for Chelsea. Uh, a good goal for, for Timo Werner to score. Um, he, he Obviously, there was the obligatory miss in there as well, but um, it was it was a well-taken winner. He nailed his joke afterwards as well. I think the second goal... Uh, chance I I have to score, but um, I think I have to come back slowly. With one goal is enough. Uh, when I score two or twice today, uh, would be might be too much for the beginning. No, uh, joking. Um, yeah. Gary Lineker's mention of the German sense of humour. I didn't think he know mm. quite so well. No. Um, but there you go. Um, no, look, it was it was a it was a much needed win because that was that was a significant fixture for them and and you know they've got the, the the game against Real Madrid coming up so soon it would have been easy to be distracted but they've there is a relentlessness about this Tuchel team already um and it's a sort of defensive relentlessness in, in all honesty they stifle the life out out of opponents and they were probably benefited on Saturday but the fact they were playing against a West Ham team that's been shorn of a lot of key players particularly in in attacking areas um and you know, that 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 clearly that clearly has helped but i mean you can't can't quibble with the defensive record is it 10 clean sheets already for for two cool I, yeah. I mean that's astonishing i mean considering how porous they were previously no it's it's a remarkable turnaround i mean some people point to the fact that frank lampard did well in his first year and arteta did well in his first year and that there is a longer period that maybe Tuchel should be judged on, but this is a manager clearly with a, a wealth of experience that those those managers didn't bring or haven't brought to their positions. Sorry, you mentioned West Ham getting shorn of players, particularly uh, up front, but particularly at the back as well, because uh, alongside everybody else who's, who's gone out, and now uh, Fabian Balbuena picking up a red card. I think everyone felt very unjustly uh, late on in this game. Now, it's possible that that red card's going to be rescinded. I don't know what you think about that on appeal, but if not, they've got so, you know, the last thing they need is another defender out of West Ham. Yeah, I think it probably will be rescinded because um, it was it is interesting in that obviously it was looked at in slow motion and the original, or and I think still stands, the kind of guidance of, of VAR was that they would use the slow motion replays only to establish the point of contact, not on, let's say, boot stud on leg, but not to kind of influence the severity of the incident. And this was a perfect example of that because it looked, it did look bad in ultra slow mo, but that's because if you slow something down to that extent, your mind plays tricks on you and makes you believe that Balbuena had time to think about what he was doing. Which, when you swing your foot to kick a ball, you absolutely don't have time to do. And I think sometimes we fall in the trap of when lots of ex players and lots of current players say, well, that shouldn't be a red and I've played the game so I know. I think we sometimes fall in that trap a little bit too much. But in this case, there was such an overwhelming um, kind of majority opinion that said, that's just ridiculous. I mean, he, he can't do anything else other than kick the ball in, uh, and then for, therefore follow through in that instant. That, yeah, I suspect it will be withdrawn or rescinded, which doesn't make West Ham feel much better having lost with 10 men to to the team that they really needed to get a point against but should at least kind of mitigate the damage there was one similar um similar to this a few seasons back when we still had supporters in the stadium and okay a bit of a vested interest in it it was Mamadou Sacco was sent off for a similar challenge on a Bournemouth player I think it might have been Smith the fullback 
who was playing for them, and he 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 made contact with the ball. He was inside his own half near the touchline, and he kicked the ball well into the Bournemouth half. So he's he's made proper contact with the ball, and it's his follow through that's that's taken out the man. And there was contact. He was sent off, and was given a three match ban, and and that wasn't wasn't rescinded. That that he had to sit that ban out, and this was very very similar to that. Um, so if if this is rescinded, then something clearly has happened in terms of their interpretations of follow-throughs on, on players. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think either of them should have been sent off personally. I don't think either of them were were horribly out of control. They were just clearing a football and the follow-through took the man because the man's leg was there, uh, unfortunately. I can't believe you're using this highly esteemed podcast, Dom, to settle scores on behalf of Crystal <laughs> Palace from years ago. <laughs> there are a few more where that came from. I'm getting there. <laughs> just that... Just quickly on West Ham, they've lost back-to-back league games for the first time since September, which isn't great timing given that they are within reach of what would be a historic Champions League qualification. But I think if you look at the absentees uh, in that Chelsea game, no Aaron Cresswell, no Arthur Masuaku, no Declan Rice, no Mikel Antonio. That's basically the entire left flank of their team, their best midfielder, and literally their only centre-forward. So for them to still be in contention, having having been playing without those players the last few weeks, I think is, is, is to their credit. And when you look at West Ham's running, it's decent. Um, away to Burnley, home to Everton, away at Brighton, away to West Brom, home to Southampton, and they'll get some of those players back before then. So as, as big a blow as, as, as that is for West Ham, I, I think the top four is still completely on for them. Well, running talk is now officially sanctioned. Isn't mm. that right, Daniel? Chelsea's running, if you want to compare and contrast, they got Fulham at home, then Man City away, then Arsenal at home, then Leicester at home, then they finish off with Aston Villa. Liverpool, for what it's worth, Man United away next, Southampton at home, West Brom away, Burnley away, finish at home to Crystal Palace. So I'm not sure that West Ham's is, by any great measure, any easier than Chelsea or Liverpool, but West Ham already surprised the odds before it's going to be a fascinating run in which is great because it looks like pretty much the only thing yet to be decided in they, this they season. They definitely are easier James because they're not playing anyone ranked higher than 8th in the table at the moment okay. and the their two big rivals are obviously well, this will come and, and and bite me when they you know lose all of them but on paper at least there's reason for optimism. I think if Moyes is being brutally honest he'd probably snap your hand off for sixth now and European football next season obviously you'd love to finish in the top four but it does feel like things are just starting to slightly creak all right well Chelsea anyway are in fourth they've also got Champions League coming up this week they've got Real Madrid on Tuesday I mentioned Alvaro Romeo would be joining us and here he is on the line now for a quick heads up Alvaro, thank you for being with us. Real Madrid for Chelsea on Tuesday. This Saturday, Real Madrid picking up their third nil-nil in their last four games. They, this time it was against Betis, previously at Getafe, uh, also at Liverpool, and, and then everybody scores at Anfield these days, but not Real Madrid. Is there a bit of an issue there? 
Well, of course there is, and there has been. I think that Real Madrid is the kind of team that uh, relies a lot on uh, solidity, uh, relies a lot of con on controlling the game, and then uh, it's all about can Benzema scoring or not. And when he doesn't have his day, uh, well, Real Madrid finds it difficult to, to get the three points, uh, let alone uh, go through in the Champions League to the next round. So I'm not too surprised about this uh, nil-nil against Betis, considering that also Real Madrid uh, had a couple of players missing that are very important too, and Betis are a very good team that uh, little by little uh, they have lost all the naivety that they had at the beginning of the season and now they are solid. Any impact as well on Real Madrid, their state of mind etc of the whole Super League debacle which is still very much ongoing there in Madrid? Yes, it is ongoing. Uh, we all know that uh, Florentino Pérez embarrassed himself last week. Uh, but I don't think that uh, there was nothing of that uh, on the pitch. I mean, Zinedine Zidane said before the game that that was a president's thing. And maybe during the week that affected the players a little bit because they were getting probably many messages and they were losing the focus. But uh, I wouldn't attribute Real Madrid's draw uh, against Betis at home to you know, a lose of focus because of the Super League. I would say that Real Madrid, more than anything, they are drained because uh, they have had many players in the sidelines. All right, well, uh, it's a drained Real Madrid then for Chelsea on Tuesday. Would you make Tuchel's side the favourites? No, I wouldn't, uh, because I was commentating on Chelsea's game the other day, and I think that Chelsea is a very good team, a very good squad. Uh, the abundance of options that uh, Thomas Tuchel has is incomparable right now, but at the same time, nobody's standing uh, standing out uh, ahead of anybody else, maybe apart from uh, Mason Mount. And uh, Chelsea relies a lot on uh, the their three men cent uh, centre backs, and uh, I believe that Real Madrid relies a lot on their ball control. So I can the game that is cagey. I do believe that Real Madrid is more suited to control the game because they've got more quality in midfield, but I don't think that uh, Chelsea is the favourite uh, going ahead to this game, in the same way that I didn't think, I didn't think that Liverpool was favourite against Real Madrid. Mm, well, how right you proved. However, while you're on though, could you give us a quick word on the Europa League, which we'll see on Thursday at El Madrigal, Villarreal taking on Arsenal, crikey, with Unai Emery up against the club that binned him. How, how big is this for him? Well, this is very big for Unai Emery. I think that uh, he left Arsenal uh, in a way that probably he wouldn't have expected. Uh, I heard him in October uh, talk about um, his new stint at Villarreal. And he was basically saying that uh, for him, uh, speaking the language uh, to the players and speaking the right language to the players, a language that he knew, a native language, was key for him. So I think that at Villarreal he has found uh, a place where he can actually communicate everything he wants. And uh, I know that uh, leaving Arsenal left a little bit of a bitter uh, feeling in him and this is very important for him also for Villarreal because let's don't forget that uh, Villarreal as it stands they are out of uh, Europe for next season and they are in a very similar situation to Arsenal uh, in the sense that if they win the Europa League they'll be in the Champions League next season but if they lose uh, this tire probably they won't play, be playing in uh, European football next season Crikey, I mean you, you, you'd hate to back anyone against them with, with his record in, in uh, this competition and also their form as well. They 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 breeze past Salzburg, Dinamo Kiev, Dinamo Zagreb, who put Spurs out. Uh, they 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 did them, particularly strongly in the second leg of that. But they've been looking really good essentially. 
Yes, they are. And I think that the, one of the differences between Arsenal and Villarreal is that you can pretty much name uh, Villarreal starting eleven, And this is very important coming into this, uh, into this stage of the competition. I believe that some players are stepping up. Uh, Gerard Moreno, we all know, he has scored already 26 goals in all competitions. But Samu Chukweze, the Nigerian player, uh, he scored a beautiful goal against Barcelona. And he's one of the breakthrough players in La Liga this season. And I do believe that, uh, you know, Villarreal, they are better in Europe than uh, domestically this season, to the point that uh, I think that they have won only one uh, league home game uh, this season in the second half of the competition, uh, whereas in Europe they are doing very well. And uh, basically, they have done it effortlessly, pretty much. You know, I think that the, the difference between Villarreal and the rest of the Spanish teams in the Europa League is that Villarreal has never been in trouble, really. So that makes them uh, like a very trustworthy team. Whether they can actually... Uh, put into practice performances like the past ones against a team like Arsenal, uh, who has many options in attack. That is a, another story. Mm, lots of players that Arsenal can score goals, including their goalkeeper, as we'll touch on in a second. <laughs> to do. Alvaro, look forward to speaking to you in Tuesday's edition on that and a, a wealth of other uh, European stories. Alvaro Romeo, yeah, Arsenal, who've seen off Benfica, Olympiacos and Slavia Praha. Who of course have put out Leicester and Rangers. It was that one-one uh, in the first leg, and then a whopping four-nil away in Prague, which was pretty impressive stuff. Not so much this Friday though for the Gunners when they went down one-nil at home to Everton. Dom, did you catch this? I saw bits of it. Um, to be honest, I, I just thought that the protest pre-match was the, the significant event of the evening. That was admirable, and I thought that the fans making their feelings felt um was, was superb on the on uh, to maintain momentum really over the course of the week and the groundswell of of uh, feeling after super league uh, the team i mean look it, it probably it wouldn't surprise me if it had an adverse effect on the team's performance it was but then arsenal have been so inconsistent all season you never know what you, you're going to get and when you when they're without lacazette who's been playing so well um, we, Obama Yang obviously is ill at the moment, so he's not around either. It was it was an opportunity for Everton, an Everton side that had rocked up in pretty abysmal form themselves. But they, they probably Arsenal were the right opponents for them that night, and they they grounded out impressively. Um, Arsenal's home record this season is absolutely wretched, absolutely wretched. And and well, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see how they improve on that next season. I, I suspect a summer of 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 spending, which could be easily attributed to Crunkies trying to win people back over again, but it's required because they're nowhere near. They're nowhere near being a, a challenging force in this country at the moment. Just to echo what Don was saying about the protests, I live right next to the Emirates, and it sounded like a match day. Um, I was out uh, sitting in a friend's garden, and you couldn't believe the amount of noise. It sounded like a stadium full of people. Still, a lot of uh, graffiti knocking, a lot of misspelt. Graffiti. I think that the the first E in Kronka catches people out quite a lot, but a, a fine sight nonetheless. Daniel, how do you spell Kronka? K R O E N K E. Kronky. Right. Very much in the style of the American spelling bee. I was just going to say exactly <laughs> like an American spelling bee. So that was Everton's first win away to Arsenal since 1996. Not sure how much there is for Carlo Ancelotti to build on, given the way it came about with the second incredible own goal by Arsenal this 
week, etc., and so on. Haha. But Bernd Leno, uh, it's. I mean, it, it's curious what happens to goalkeepers when they join up with with Arsenal, or at least how much goalkeepers improve when they leave Arsenal is perhaps the way that normally goes. I think it's a pretty big fortnight for for Mikel Arteta, given that they are playing Unai Emery in the Europa League and. Um, the kind of obvious comparisons drawn between them, or you know, lack of contrast, should we say? And you know, the, the kind of punchline of of his tenure has been this kind of trust the process mantra. Um, but that trust the process kind of indicates a, a general upward curve that will have bumps in the road. But not really seeing it since the the first couple of months of the season. They're just kind of flatlined, really. You know, they are. If Everton can take a point from their game in hand, then you know they're seven points off the top eight, which is remarkable, really, at just how quickly that kind of mediocrity has become normalised. And I guess he's escaped a lot of pressure because of the kind of absenteeism above him. But the idea is that managers kind of manage to rise above that and still create something reasonably special, and he's really doing that. As for Everton, who are currently eighth, six points off the top four, they have that game in hand. If they win it, three points off the top four. Are they in that mix? They've 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 got a decent run in. They've they've still got to play Sheffield United, Villa, and Wolves at home. Um, but they're the least all consistent of, side in in the Premier League, probably. Yeah, they're and they're wretched at well, they are reasonably consistent in that they're wretched at home and they're yeah. very good away. Um, their away games are against West Ham who they probably want to play in that if they want to finish above them, they might as well play them. And then they've got City away on the last day. But if City have won the league and potentially looking forward to a Champions League final the next weekend, maybe they play at sort of half pace, although you could argue their half pace might be too good for Everton anyway. But Mm. yeah, they do still have a chance because as I say, Sheffield United, Villa and Wolves, you probably couldn't pick three better fixtures than that at the moment because you've got two kind of sunbathing teams and one doomed team so yes I think they still can do it well we'll be hearing about how some of those teams got on uh, this weekend and one or two other things too very very shortly keep listening for Jack Lang versus Benji Lanyardo in the Intertotally Cup sponsored by Paddy Power and we apologise for any bad language you may hear looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Happy birthday, Man United. On this day in 1902, Newton Heath became the club we all know and love as the Red Devils. After they were about to get wound up, you probably know this story, they were about to get wound up 
you know, for bankruptcy, not, you know, annoyed or anything. And their captain, Harry Stafford, lost his dog. But the man who found his dog was a wealthy brewery owner who ended up taking over the club, building them a ground and changing their name and their colours on this day in 1902. On this day, well, actually in yesterday, in 2021, uh, Man United had a nil-nil draw away at Ellen Road. Not the greatest game, to quote Jamie Carragher's commentary in the 85th minute, this game's been awful, Jesus, oh my God. But (laughs) five points for Leeds from consecutive games against Man City, Liverpool and Man United. That's kind of interesting. Has has Bielsa basically changed his whole approach when Leeds play the big sides? It, It feels like that. You look at Leeds' recent results and what strikes you is how normal they are. You think about how many strange results they had in the first part of the season. There was a spell in December where they seemed to either score five goals or concede five goals in successive weeks for the best part of a month. Whereas recently, yeah, really good run against, you know, some of the bigger teams, that fantastic... Uh, sort of opportunistic 2-1 win away at Man City uh, uh, took a point off Liverpool uh, and then took a point off United and I I, mean, I I don't watch Leeds enough or as closely to definitively say yes they've changed a whole bunch of things but your sort of general impression is that they are certainly attacking in a much less kamikaze way they don't seem to fling men forward with, with quite so much abandon they don't pick up too many clean sheets but they do seem to be um, you know tightening up a little bit and they yeah they, they really frustrated Man United it, it's, watching it it felt like 22 men just continually running into each other for 90 minutes which is what you'll get I suppose when one of those teams are man marking and the, the whole game seemed to come down to this this sort of uh, running battle between Bruno Fernandes and, and Calvin Phillips and on the very few occasions when Fernandes managed to evade Phillips he, he wasn't able to do anything with it and I think that's one of the reasons why Leeds were able to, to come away with the point. Mm. Well, nil nil that proved. Uh, loads of goals before that though on Sunday in Burnley's trip to Molyneux, where uh, they came away with a 4-0 win. That's their biggest top-flight away win since 1965. Woof. And it also featured a hat-trick from Chris Wood. Three goals all in the first half. And uh, Wolves, I mean, people saying they're on the beach, but were they just blown away by this phenomenal Burnley side? I, I think they've got an issue, Wolves, now. Um, in that I think for the first time there's a kind of concerted, uh, not just a suspicion, but a kind of growing feeling that things are going a little bit stale. Maybe um, they've got they've got injury problems in that Raúl Jiménez effectively ruined their season, and Pedro Neto is brilliant, and he's now out as well, and Johnny's out for the season as well. But you just looked at the team that finished the game, and it kind of had. Podence and Fabio Silva and Vitinha and Morgan Gibbs-White and Raya Al-Nuri. And you looked at it and thought, well, there was this time when Wolves were finishing the top seven where you could have picked five or six players out of their team and said any one of those could play for a big six club, partly because of the injuries. But it just doesn't feel that way anymore. And it suddenly looks like there's a little bit of work to do over there in the summer, which makes it a kind of difficult time if there is any uncertainty about Nuno. I just wonder if, like Ralph Hasnut at Southampton, he's just wondering whether his reputation is 
being done more damage than good now having having done the good stuff maybe there's a there's a i always think with managers that the key to the best managerial careers is to make the moves at exactly the right time and i just wonder if maybe both of those have just are just staying that little bit too long now that they've suddenly got a battle on the hands to kind of take things up again well rumors this week linking him with the tottenham a job not sure how much uh, substance there is in that but meantime in a kind of yin yang balance of the force thing as Leeds attack less, are Burnley now inheriting their kind of forward-thinking chai? Is that what's happening with it? Because this was uh, fantastic stuff from the previously rather, well, doer uh, Burnley. I, th- I think I disagree with the description of Burnley as Dower. This is how they attack all their games. And Chris Wood said this afterwards. He, he said, you know, our recent results have been disappointing. They'd lost three on the spin going into this. But he said he didn't feel that the performance has been, had, been, had been poor. Um, they just, you know, either had a bit of bad luck or come, against, come up against teams who are on a better day. But you know, this is what Burnley c- can do to teams because, you know, you know what you're going to get. They do get at you. They're very direct and... You know, Wolves really struggled with that. Willie Bolly had an awful game. Connor Cody, who is one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League, really struggled to get to grips with Chris Wood. And you saw that with the first goal where Wood sends him one way, then the other, uh, and then buries it bottom left. Dwight McNeil had a fantastic game, really exciting player, a uh, couple of assists for him. And I think I think it was a combination of a team low on confidence, missing key players, already on the beach, and a team still uh, to secure their survival. Um, you know, getting their tails up early on uh, and causing them trouble. But yeah, I, I, I generally enjoy watching Burnley. I don't find them a boring team to watch. I like the fact they're up and at them. And, and I think every now and again, when things click, you you see what a well-coached team they are. And, and, you know, Wolves found that out today. I saw Burnley come to Sellers Park in, would have been, I'm just looking, I think it was March time, uh, when similar sort of scenario, really, where you thought that Burnley needed the points desperately, they'd been on a poor run. Palace were f- feeling as though they were going. But it was in mid. It was in mid February. Blimey! Um, but Palace felt as if they were virtually safe getting there, and and Palace were just slightly off it, just slightly off it. And in the first ten minutes, Burnley scored twice, added a brilliant third, and were streets ahead. And and the same sort of gulf between. A, a mid-table team that's been safe for a while, as in Wolves and Palace, and 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 this Burnley team that was scrapping for their lives. And look, it doesn't work every week with them, um, and they'll come up against better teams who will beat them and have beaten them, Burnley. But but when they when they sense a vulnerability in an opponent or, or that the opponent isn't quite there, they don't half exploit it. And and that that first half hat trick from Woods was, was was summed it up really. They can bully teams. They can bully teams into submission if they're not quite at it. Hmm. Well, they move nine points now above the bottom three, and it does look like being between Fulham, who weren't involved in a game this weekend, and Brighton, who lost 1-0 on Saturday night away at Sheffield United. This um, this run-in and West Brom's 2-2 draw with Aston Villa, which came this Sunday night, uh, a late, what was it, 92nd minute Keenan Davis equaliser for Villa, just when it looked like Sam Allardyce's side were keeping their improbable escape bid alive uh, where does this leave things are they now out of the picture and Tom I know you're strong on run-ins what do you feel about Fulham's chances of catching Brighton is that done and dusted as well I don't have the running data I've got them hand. right here I've got them right here <laughs> uh, but I my gut instinct is that Fulham have probably left it too late okay 
Fulham have Chelsea away, they're home to Burnley, they're away at Saints, they're at Man United, they finish at home to Newcastle. Brighton have Leeds away, then they're at Wolves, then they're home to West Ham, home to Man City, they finish at Arsenal. Daniel. They've been to to Leeds, haven't they, Brighton? I'm sure they won at Leeds, didn't they? Oh, sorry. Well, that goes to show that that was my entire run-in is... It's incredible that you know Dom, that. This, Dom the this, entire, this entire season for me is just one massive morass of <laughs> shapeless football that's all leads. coagulated into one big homogenous lump. <laughs> and you the only game you can remember. successfully <laughs> pick out a fixture that's been Arguably incorrectly the best flipped. Goal of the I, season they scored that day. I can't remember, Dom I can remember any fixture except for when Liverpool came to South Park. I don't know what you're talking about. That never happened. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's all over. That's what we're saying. Yeah, it was over. It was officially marked as over because Sam Allardyce threw his chewing gum at the back of the dugout with such aggro that I'm surprised it didn't break a hole in the back of it. Which was, which was when Keenan Davis scored the equaliser for Villa, mm. and it was some shoddy defending from from West Brom and kind of de- constant delaying and allowing Davis to nip in. And yeah, Allardyce just took his chewing gum out of his mouth and hoid it at the back of the dugout. So that that is them officially done. That was a brilliant game of football. Arguably yeah, the best game of football of the weekend. Really? Yeah. Would you say? Oh, it was it was great fun. Really, really good. Loads of loads of attempts. Loads. I mean, Pereira, as Daniel said earlier, was was superb. Absolutely superb. And um, they hit. I mean, West Brom hit the woodwork twice, maybe three times. And Villa had good, great chances. It was proper end to end stuff. Um, but it's ultimately just condemned West Brom to the drop again. Yeah, the other thing with, with Sheffield United beating Brighton is that something that's a completely caught me off guard is that all three of, in the bottom three have now all won the same amount of games, which seems ridiculous given that Sheffield United were kind of sold as completely doomed and record low points totals and Fulham were kind of rebounding and looking to survive. But th- there is 10 points between them because Sheffield United can't draw games. But yeah, they've all now only won five games. Interesting. All right, well, there's still a chance... So we'll see what happens in the weeks to come for Fulham and technically West Brom. But for now, that's where we'll leave the Premier League weekend. And we'll finish off today with another contest of pure footballing knowledge at the Intertotally Cup. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Inter-Totally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy's offers are at full capacity. Get a free bet if one leg of your 4-plus fold acca lets you down on all football matches and markets. T's and C's apply. 18-plus, begambleaware.org. Yep, it's the Inter-Totally Cup and it's the quarterfinals. Thursday, Michael Cox kind of Jedi'd his way to four out of five and a particularly fiendish set of questions to reach the semi-finals. He will be facing the winner of the... Duncan Alexander against Sasha Gurionov clash, which is coming up next week. On the other side of the draw, this Thursday, we'll have the long-awaited trash-talking spectacular between uh, Jules et Jim, that's Lawrence against Horncastle, the winner of which will take on one of today's contestants. Let's meet them. Let me see those hands. 
first. He saw off Alvaro Romeo in the first round, but can he power on just as his beloved hammers are stumbling? It's the big daddy, Benji Lanyado. Benji, good to have you back with us. Described this week by Michael Cox as the Denmark 92 of Intertotally. Did you hear that? Oh, no, I didn't, but I like it. Because, yeah, um, yeah I, I, before my haircut, my hair was actually quite John Jensen-y. So I'm, I'm down. Let's go. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you, you made it past Alvaro in the first round, but I don't know if you've noticed the, the difficulty level of the questions has ramped up as we've reached the quarterfinal stage. Are you concerned at all about some of the, the fiendish poses that are coming your way? Absolutely. I mean, my strategy is is that I'm hoping that when you ask me the questions, that I know the answer to the questions. And then I do that more often than Jack does. And if that strategy comes to pass, then I win. So that's that's what I'm going for here. Always the big thinker, Benji. I like it. Uh, you'll have chosen... Or perhaps you're staying with the same charity that you had in round one. Who's it going to be and what, what is your wager going to be? It's the Whittington Hospital in North London. It's an NHS hospital that um, delivered my first child uh, 12 days ago and looked after my wife. God bless him. And my bet is that, that there'll be an all-English Champions League final. Crikey. OK, let's meet the competition. <laughs> opponent. There are no depths to which he will not plunge to ensure that victory is his. He is the bad boy of the Intertotally. He is Jack Lang. Yeah, snarling, scheming Jack Lang joins us again with his dog, <laughs> Muttley. All right, Jack. Hello, you okay? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. You saw off Natalie Jedra in, in the first round with your mind games. What fiendish tricks have you got lined up for Benji here? Uh, well, I'll, I'll firstly give him my warm congratulations for the new arrival and that is heartfelt rather than an attempt to get inside his head or is it classic absolutely classic typical jack lang it's a classic thing you know the bad boy in the competition but away from that the swede you're like the pepe of the intertotally i would say jack yeah um socially completely fine uh never headbutted anyone in a public situation Right. Um, yeah, teammates think I'm a think I'm a model model pro. Well, it's time to get your battle head on, or whatever the equivalent phrase would be, as we head towards your questions. Let me just quickly check with you: what is your charity of choice and wager? It's the Down Syndrome Association again, and my bet is for Gerard Moreno to score for Villarreal against Arsenal this week. Ooh. Oh. Alrighty. Okay. Well, a place in the semi-finals awaits for someone. Let's get questioning. Benji, you're up first. Here comes question one. When Liverpool lost 2-1 to Milan in the 2007 Champions League final, who scored Liverpool's goal? Uh, Dirk Count. Is correct. Question two. Which name is missing from this list of the English league clubs that Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank played for? Leeds United, Chelsea... Charlton, Cardiff City, and which club is missing from that list? Leeds United, Chelsea, Charlton, Cardiff City, and one other. Let's say this is maybe because I think he's managing there. Uh, all right, Burton Albion is incorrect. It's Middlesbrough, Borough. Ah, okay, 
Question three. What do the finals of Euro 2004 and Euro 2016 have in common? Euro 2016 was Portugal winning it. They beat France. 2004 was in Portugal. Is it that the host country lost? In the final, you mean? In, yeah. in the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Okay, question four. Which club did Nigel Clough take over in October 2020? Um, so he's gone back and forth between Burton. He's managed Burton a few times. A lot of Burton action for me on this yeah, quiz. Yeah, a lot so of Burton. Um... Okay, I don't know the answer to this, but who has recently fired a manager in... Well, October 2020. uh, Yeah. Oh, October 2020. Um, I've just got to say Burton Albion again, don't I? And once again, it's incorrect, Benji. It's Mansfield Town. The answer is Mansfield Town. Question five, then. Who won the first FA Cup final that was held back at the newly rebuilt Wembley? Is it Burton Albion? No, no, that's not my answer. Um... Uh, okay, so the Cardiff finals, the, the, that was the that was the Michael Owen against Arsenal final. Was that the last one at Cardiff? The one after? Um, I'm going to guess because they've won it quite a bit over the last little while. Is it Chelsea? Is correct, Benji. And I really enjoyed having the kind of director's commentary over your kind of your thinking there. Uh, Chelsea, who beat Man United 1-0, so with a score of three out of five, Benji, how do you feel? Yeah, magic. I thought, that, yeah, that pretty lucky, to be honest. I pulled a few of those out of my uh, posterior. Well, as you and everybody knows, you make your own luck in the end totally. Jack, let's see how you match up to that as we ask you your questions, starting with question one. Who scored Arsenal's goal when they lost 2-1 to Barcelona in the 2006 Champions League final? scored Arsenal's goal? Saul Campbell. Is correct, Jack. Question two. Which name is missing from this list of the English clubs Emil Heskey played for? Leicester, Wigan, Birmingham, Liverpool, Bolton and... Aston Villa. Is correct. Question three, Jack. Who was sent off for France in the 1998 World Cup final? Oh, I have no real memory of that. Anyone being sent off? Uh, Let's go for Lillian Turam. No, it was Marcel Desailly. So that's uh, two out of three so far. You need one more to pull level with Benji. If you get the next two right, of course, you are in the semi-finals. Question four, then. Who was the Sheffield Wednesday manager at the start of this season? Start of the 2021 season, who was Sheffield Wednesday's manager? I mean, I've got very little idea. Uh, Gary Monk. It's correct, Jack. Where did that come from? He was like the only person who came to mind. I knew he'd managed them at some point recently. Oh, that's good. That's, That's my Lindsay Hooper moment. Well, indeed. You are now level with Benji, and this next question is crucial. Question five. Who won the first FA Cup final held at the Millennium Stadium? 
don't know. I'm going to do what Benji did and say someone who won it a lot around that time. Was it Arsenal? It was not. It was Liverpool. It was Liverpool who beat Arsenal 2-1 in, I think, a game that Benji referenced while he was... (laughs) As the last game, so he's done me there. (laughs) So that takes us on to a tiebreaker. Closest answer wins a place in the semi-final. Fingers on the buttons then as I ask you, how many points have Manchester United gained in total since the start of the Premier League in 1992? Closest answer wins. Get yours in as soon as possible. How many points have Man United gained since the start of the Premier League in 92? I'm allowed to use my calculator. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's still, it's still, it's, it's not a maths question. It's an estimate question, isn't it? Mm. Okay. Oh, that's a really great question. How many points have Manchester United gained in total since the start of the Premier League in 1992? What's your calculus, Benji, for that? I thought the 75 points was... Oh, now, now I'm realising that I've gone too far here. But 75 points, yeah... I think my calculus is wrong. <laughs> we'll see. Benji has provided an answer of 2,175. Jack's answer is 2,500. The correct total of points that Manchester United have gained since the start of the Premier League in 1992 is 2,300. And that means that, Benji Lanyardo, you are in the semi-final. Benji's doing the Bebeto celebration cradle rocking. Wow. Benji, from what I can see of your face, and it's not perfect on the Zoom call, you look stunned by that news. Yeah. Um I'm just I'm just enjoying myself here, Jimbo. I feel like I'm I'm the the sort of um I'm like a non league team. You're Denmark ninety two, Benji. I'll take it. I will take it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean to to, to see off I'm mean, a huge Jack Lang fan. Right. To see him off is is um is a you know it's a special moment. Well, it disappointing for you, Jack, especially after that magical Gary Monk uh, moment. It's not often you get to say uh, those <laughs> words together, but you, you surely won't be the last big name to fall at the hands of uh, of uh, the Lanyardo dynamite. Yeah, congratulations to Benji. I'm signing up as member number one of the Lanyardo fan club, so I'll be roaring him on in Fantastic. the future games. Well, Jack, how ironic that it should be a tiebreaker that actually saw you come undone this time. Hoisted by my own petard, you should say. Benji will be facing in the semi-final either James Horncastle or Julian Laurent. We'll be finding out which when the Intertotally returns on Thursday. Congratulations, Benji Lanyardo. You're through to the semi-finals of the Intertotally Cup. And if you think Benji's bet that there'll be an all-English Champions League final is moderately sensible, you'll get odds of 2-1 to one at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Odds are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. And please, gamble responsibly. Excellent. All right, then, with uh, Daniel, Tom and Dominic, time to wrap up today's show. But is there anything else you'd like to add before we leave our listeners? Tom. Just briefly, while we've been on air... Uh, Leon and Lille have played out an incredible game in Ligue 1. Uh, Leon were 2-0 up at half-time. 
leaving Lille fourth in the as-it-stands table. But Lille roared back in the second half to win 3-2, taking them back to the top of the standings and knocking Lyon out of the title race. I've been saying this quite consistently this season, uh, but I'm going to say it again. Burak Yilmaz is an absolute baller and one of the best players in Europe at the moment. Fantastic. All right, more of that on Tuesday. Daniel? Just a... Uh, uh shout out for a book which is will have been published on the day that or the day that people probably listen to this which is David Hartrick's book on uh, England under Bobby Robson it's called Silver Linings and I was honoured to write the foreword but more importantly it's a brilliant brilliant read it's kind of a thorough examination of that time without ever resorting to sort of melodrama or hyperbole or scandal which it could easily do uh, but yeah it's a fantastic book so yes it's out now Fabulous, fabulous. Dom, anything you want to say apart from just goodbye? Oh, I wish everybody a lovely week. That's, That's it. <laughs> very sweet of you. Great stuff. Well, listener, I second that thought, as I'm sure we all do. We're back with various podcasts throughout the week, and then we're totally on Thursday, of course. So catch up with you then. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.